Welcome to Talk Save, Culture Talks, the podcast of Paradisec, the Pacific and Regional Archive for Digital Sources in Endangered Cultures. I'm Jody Kell. And I'm Stephen Gagao. These are conversations with people who have personal and cultural connections to the languages and music in our archive. song Buried in the Sand, written and sung by Gujal musician William Santo. This episode will delve into William's efforts, inspired by his connection to music, to uncover and share knowledge about Gujal language, history and culture. William Santo is a Gujal elder, musician and author. He compiled an extraordinary history about his family, published in 2016 called Maggie and Charlie Santo, The History of the Santo Family of Charter Stowers. The Charter Stowers region of North Queensland is home to the Gujal people and their language. Gujal hasn't been spoken as a first language for some decades. Only a handful of recordings of the language were ever made, most by linguist and anthropologist Peter Sutton. Peter Sutton lived and worked with Aboriginal people in Queensland and the Northern Territory for over 40 years. And since 1979, he assisted with more than 50 Indigenous land claims. He has published and co-authored more than 15 books on Aboriginal languages, art, culture and land rights. And his book titled The Politics of Suffering, Indigenous Australia and the End of the Liberal Consensus, published in 2009, reflects upon all he has seen and questions Australian public policy over that time. In the 1970s, Peter recorded Gujo language and culture, working with elders Ranji Pope and Freddie Tumba. We interviewed Peter separately to William due to our inability to all get together over COVID times. But through the conversation, you get a sense of a strong relationship supporting William in his work on the Gujal language and culture over many years. William Santo has authored four books in Gujal, including My Country in Gujal and English and the Gujal Pocket Dictionary, drawing on Peter's recordings and in collaboration with linguist Cassie Nancaro. His books are possibly the only books written in the Gujal language, but this is set to change. Last year, William teamed up with Alex Anderson, a University of Sydney linguistic student, and they wrote a learner's guide to Gujal and created a language learning podcast. You will hear excerpts of their podcast during this episode, creating a synergy as we hear how William and Alex have utilized Peter's original recordings of the voices of William's elders to revive the Gujal language. Alex's supervisor and longtime supporter, 
of the Gujarat Language Project is linguist and music researcher Miffany Teben from the University of Sydney, who you will also hear in the podcast interviewing William. William's song, Buried in the Sand, questions what happened to the sacred ground, the clapsticks and the sound of the didgeridoo. The chorus mourns, now they're buried in the sand. This episode will discuss what was happening in Queensland in the not-so-distant past when government policy, systemic injustices and racial discrimination contributed to burying the Gujo language and culture. But we will also hear how determined people such as William Santo and the Gujo elders, with researchers and linguists who have supported them, can work to uncover archival materials and bring them back into the light helping to reclaim and revitalise language and culture for the well-being of their people and for future generations. Great to have you on Toxavir podcast. Uh, Yarol, welcome. Hello. My name's William. I'm like a born in Tartus Dows. Always, um, you know, that's always been my home. Um, Tartus Dows is up um, not too far away from Townsville, if people don't know where it is, um, just inland from Townsville. Spent a lot of my time growing up in and around stations um, out of Gujul country, more into um, Dalabara country um, when I, in my early years, but spent a lot of time fishing and there was a lot of um, old people around when I was growing up. So tell us about the Gujul language project, the beginnings of it. How, how, did, how did this start? I think it started when I was involved in native title. I remember the language committee was looking for an inland person from Gujarat or Urundali to be on the committee because I was involved with native title with Central Queensland Land Council way back then. That's when I started getting more serious about language. Before that, we used to do a lot of culture heritage. We had another organisation before Inland Land Council, King Kara. That was in the 80s. Yeah, right. So I'm sort of going back a bit further. That's when, when I started seeing all those stencil arts and it just blew me away and, and a lot out of the, there in country in this yeah, well, in mm. cave paintings and yeah. you know and and then started seeing a lot of that stuff um i don't know something clicked in me and i got more interested in this sort of stuff you know we we just needed to bring this out so other um and we need to more have more stuff on our country. Um, so what do you mean by bring it, like bring it out for you for the people? For the, for the next generation and mm. generation, mm. For, because there wasn't enough um, material. And how I got my language and I got my books out, that was through the language committee at Kerrigan. If I didn't get on that committee, get funding, 
to help pay for Cassie to transcribe our Goodjill stuff and get a lot of the Goodjill stuff. We wouldn't have had that Goodjill dictionary. Mm. And a lot of the young people today, they they rely on that that book, and it, it's bringing back um, respect. And that people and they mm. they feel so proud they, that they got language spoken there because back you know like when I was talking to a lot of a lot of non-indigenous people you know a lot of them said oh did you speak language here you know they were so naive mm. you know and um and I, I never answered them I just just went ahead but it sort of built up around that that era from the 80s 90s it's sort of hard to describe that era because i was um discovering myself yeah i was discovering myself as a good old person i taught myself how to use computers and then i'd sort of advanced back then and a lot of that research was going to the places hmm. cuz like going to the museums going to yeah those, and yeah. talking to other people yeah. And over time, it sort of, um, I built up my knowledge yeah. how, how I'm going to start doing all this stuff. And, that, and it's not straight away. It took years. Uh, I studied music um, down in Adelaide from 94. But I, I used to just go away because I was fascinated with history. It, it didn't matter what history. I was just fascinated with it, mm. and I didn't know where my path was going up back then because I was, I wanted to play music, and I mm. I done that. I formed a band down there and played music around that, mm. around Adelaide, and and I and I think if I didn't play music back in them days, I think I would have went in a different direction. I think I would have. Um, I I really don't know where I would have went. Do you think music helped you kind of? Think about language and culture. Is that what? Yeah, I, I, me personally, I think um, music led me to get more serious. And I started talking to musos and talking to other people from different areas. And and I remember talking to someone in Adelaide, and they told me how the Adelaide language, how they um, had to start from scratch. And they said they had to get someone to go right through it, get all the language down, and and then they they end up getting all this language what they got today. You know that's something um, might have sort of lightened something in my head about this sort of stuff. We will now hear an excerpt of the Gujar language podcast created by William and Alex. It shows how they have been using archival recordings to piece together information about Gujar language, just as William was inspired by the revitalization of the Ghana language of Adelaide. We, we've been listening to the recordings and, of course, in you know European culture, and um, Australian culture, um, Aboriginal culture was were very different. So we don't have a lot of one-to-one matches between words like hello and how are you in Gujal. But we've been listening to the recordings and we've found some words which um, come quite close. So the first one is Yaru. 
and I'll just play the recording for you because Freddie Toomba um, actually provides a little explanation of, of what it means. Yeah, you come to a camp to see that boy is a you sing out. Yellow. Yellow means I'm here. Yellow. Yeah, yellow. So it's the recording's a little bit hard to hear, but um, he's saying when you come up to a, a camp or a, a group of people, you sing out, you say Yarrow. And so Yarrow literally means here or I'm here. Um, but we, we were talking and we think that sounds a lot like what you say in English. When you go up to a group of people that you haven't seen in a while or you, you don't know maybe, you say hello. And so we thought a good alternative in Gujar would be Yarrow for hello. So Yarrow. Yarrow, William? Yarrow. So then having these recordings has helped you to learn. It's, it's helping me to learn long time coming, you know, because from what we're doing here with um, Alex and Miff, I, I love to bring a, learn, um, I bring a song out just for Kudjal language. And um, that's something for me, because uh, I'm going to sit down and, and, but I need to learn how to speak it hmm. properly first. In the next excerpt from the Gujal Language podcast, William and Alex are learning correct pronunciation from the voices of Gujal elder Harry Bunn, who William remembers from his childhood. Next sound is the double R. So two R's next to each other are a different sound to one R in Gujal. So this one's more of the tat R that you hear in, in a lot of Australian languages. So the first word is birugu, which means wife or sweetheart, um, and it comes from Harry Bunn. Birugu. 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 The next sound, or the next word rather, is gari, which means son, um, and it comes from Harry Bunn. Gari. 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 What's Harry Bunn to you again, really? My auntie's father. Yeah, and Connie's father. Mm. So you remember him from when you were Yeah, he's a, a deadly old fellow. An old, you know, stockman. And, you know, I, I, I still stuck in my mind. I can still see him sitting on out in the bed where the kitchen is, you know, yeah, just sitting there, you know. And and, and Auntie Connie, she had, a, she had a really good sense of humour. Uh, I, I really loved her. Uh, you know, because mm. I used to go around to my cousins all the time. And Why do you think Harry Bunn talked to Peter Sutton? What was he hoping to achieve, do you think? I think, uh, oh, Uncle, he, he was, he just wanted to be heard, eh, at that time, because mm. a lot of old people were dying. A lot of them wanted to um, get their stuff out. Do you remember the first time you heard them? I was sitting there, you know, most times I was sitting on me, I own this listening to the tapes, you know. But uh, it was a funny feeling, you know, just the way it was pronounced. Yeah, listening to it on tape, it just, I don't know, it was just a, you know, when, when you're by yourself and there's no one around, you just, you just get so excited in your in your moment and and I you know sometimes I get get feelings um someone's pushing me to bring this stuff out you know I, 
that's what I feel. That was Little Magpie, sung by Gujarat elder Freddie Tumba, recorded on Palm Island in 1970 by Peter Sutton. We now talk to Peter about his memories of Freddie Tumba and working with Gujarat elders in Queensland in the 1970s. What was Freddie Tumba like when you met him? He would have been about 65, 70. He was tubby. He was energetic. I think he was rather isolated. He was quite jovial, you know. He was having fun. He was being respected for something that he could do and probably in that place nobody else could do. The first songs there, they're clearly songs that have been learned through endlessly repeated exposure to ceremonies and gatherings. Mm. Yeah. Uh, with the falling the falling coda at the end and so on. That's the ancient, you know, mainland style. A little boy jumped off the barbed wire fence and cut his bindi. And uh, he lay down and some of the other old people come along and he come along and asked him, what's the matter? Oh, he told him he cut his bindi with a wire. And they made a song of it, I've written down bad wire. Those are the basic textual terms. And the translations are Benji um, Benji is belly belly and Benji is belly in um, Creole. I don't think it's from this language. Mura um, Mura is cut. Kain Matara is playing and uh, Kuli is cheeky or bad tempered and wire obviously is the English word wire. Mm. So there was a genre of what you might call contact songs uh, in old fashioned language. They often involve things like falling off a horse. And they were probably shared around by the stockmen as they moved across stations. Um, I think so. You know, just remembering what do you do at night out when, you're, when you're out in the bush and you've done a full day's work. If the Aboriginal guys were reached a critical 
number, I would think that it's then worthwhile having a singing night every now and then. When was the first time you um, came across the Gujarat language uh, in your uh, That was at um, the Eventide Men's Home in Charters Towers. And that was the 5th of August, 1970. I had been given his name by the clerk of Petty Sessions. Uh, these people were part of the old administrative network. The, the clerk of Petty Sessions kept records of who was under the Act, that is, the, you know, the Aboriginal Act, uh, and therefore decisions uh, weren't entirely their own. They couldn't move without uh, permission. They couldn't get married without permission. Um, it was a very draconian. Uh, and they could also be moved without any kind of trial or test if they got a, they did something that was considered wrong out in whoop whoop then they'd be sent to palm Island. so at the cps uh, he listed uh, at eventide home uh, two people palmer lee chu and rangy pope and uh, so i went to the eventide home that day and met palmer lee chu but he was no longer able to communicate and rangy pope who pronounced his language name as gurjal Gour uh, so i went there and I, my note says rangy pope gurjal speaker born herberton about 68 years old so the next day i went back and worked with rangy again i was allowed to work with rangy so long as a man in a khaki uniform sat uh, and watched that we weren't doing anything wrong like for example rallying for land rights or something like that that people like uh, people scholars who were moving amongst uh, indigenous people in queensland were likely to be under surveillance uh, and it would intensify if there were if you looked like you were working on land rights which I, later i was but initially it was all about language mm. and all about endangered ones particularly and did they follow you wherever you went like this um, um that was just for the first day and he sat there and he got incredibly bored because it was all, it was a, we weren't talking about foot, rugby league or anything really interesting so he um uh he got bored eventually and left and left me to my own devices and it happened at palm island to a, a an aboriginal guy who was in trackers uniform again a khaki mm. was assigned to be the guy who kept an eye on sutton but you know our, our car number plates were um were circulated to police later on in the mid 70s mm. and the police were expected to report to the special branch in brisbane uh anyway there's a, a fairly amusing account of that stuff in my book the politics of suffering it is distressing to hear peter recollect how queensland government policy in the 1970s restricted the freedom of aboriginal people and put up barriers for engaging with and recording language and culture. We also asked William about issues he and his community faced in the following decades in their efforts to regain their land and reclaim their language and culture. Like what's been really difficult for finding resources and reclaiming this language? Well, only one station owner gave us a lot of material numbers, block downs, but we had a the Sano family um, always had a really good relationship um, with Blockdowns and um, and we treated them as like a family, hmm. even though the claim went over their area, covered their area and everything like that. But I think it spooked a lot of people back then. They thought we were just going to come on their country and take their stations and everything. They just didn't understand about native title back in them days because the media was just... Um, throwing a lot of this stuff out mm. and caused a lot of um, friction. I don't remember when 
um, when I was working for Inland Land Council back then, I was a chairperson back then. Um, we, I was sending one of my um, fellows out. The gate was locked, and you know, um, and and the station owners uh, said that you know we'll shoot any blacks on site. Mm. You know, back in the days, and there was a lot of lot of um, damage of sacred sites out there that cave painting through dynamite and blew a lot of these stuff up. It saddens me yeah. because people are, are, you know, um, this is what we had to tolerate. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm talking not only that, my mum too. We asked William and Peter about when they first met and started working together on Gujar language. I went down to Adelaide in '94. I, I went down and um, seen a lot of the, uh, the museum pieces of our um, axe heads coming from Bletchley Park. Um, and then um, I found out that one of our message sticks over in the German museums, you know, when I was. Um, looking into all this stuff, you know, and I was fortunate to meet Peter Sutton. But I didn't know the questions to ask him because you've got to realise back then I was still rural mm. and trying to get my head around a lot of this stuff. It built up in time, but it took years to build up, mm. progressing with this Kujil stuff. You know, he was so happy for that dictionary to come out when... Um, and, and a good old person's working on. He was so pleased back then. Mm. And I think I've got a special relationship with Peter, you know, more because he, he'll ring me and I'll ring him. So we're on the phone often. When did you first Listen, meet William? At the South Australian Museum in the Science Centre, I think it was. I can remember, I have a, a mental image of his face when we talk and we talk on the phone probably several times a year. William talks about when he first met you that he felt like he was raw. You know, he didn't know from beginning on his journey. When Kunka. Yeah. Oh. He was Kunka, <laughs> uncooked. <laughs> well, if, it, if it's a tree, it's green. How do you feel about the, the work he was doing on the Gujar language? I've always had a lot of admiration for <coughs> Williams. Um, first, the fact that he's interested in the deep past of his own people. Not everybody is. Secondly, that he's been so persistent over such a long period. And uh, he hasn't been, he might have been daunted a few times, but he's still here and he's still going. Yes, languages need people like William. They're not going to be rejuvenated by um, standard sort of rote learning kinds of processes. They, they need to, there needs to be social engagement, and William's a very socially engaged bloke. He seems to have a big knowledge of older people who've passed away. You know, you find that so often that sometimes it's one young person out of a hundred who wants to listen to the old people and spend time with them maybe go out fishing with them, that sort of thing, you know. And they're the quiet ones to often end up as the elders 30 years later who are the ones who actually know more than the rest. Were you listening to language when you were young? Can, do you remember hearing language? And talking For me, um, language was there, um, you know, because um, I remember mum and dad, especially mum, we, we used to go over Palm Island because a lot of mum and family were over Palm back in the middle 60s. We remember we used to 
go over on Oram, but um, just a small little boat took nearly most of the day to get across from Townfall to Palm Island. Back in them days on Palm, um, a lot of mums, um, cousin sisters, you know, sisters, um, windy side. But back in them days, um, they used to have big crobberies on Palm Island and everyone used to um, just all come together on this football field. They used to have a big Cub Murray. Cub Murray mean hungry, you know, Cub Murray. A lot of the um, tribes, you had all the inland tribes, you had uh, coastal tribes, you had people from Torres Strait Island, all was plonked on Palm Island. Because um, back then it was a punished colony, you know, back. You know, I was pretty young, but I had really fond memories. I used to walk around Palm, um, you know, and because Mum was pretty popular back in them days, everyone knew her. Because she arrived on Palm in 1936 mm. with her family and, and spent one year in the dormitories before um, she was made to go out and work. Um, she was probably 12 or 13, had to scrub floors, you know. I remember all these uh, tribal groups, they had all these different paintings, different markings on their bodies that tells them where they belong, where they come from, what country. And so all these people, you know, back in them days, they, they used to come together and do big crobbery. And then, you know, then I have a big feast. For me, growing up, I was always around old people listening to language. Yeah. Even though I didn't understand what they was talking about, it was all, they were talking all the time. I spent a lot of early years out in the stations, like Lincoln Spring and then Wanda Vale. We had a lot of the old ringers, stockmen, but they were from different areas. Mm. They wasn't Goodwill. Mm. So a lot of these stockmen, you know, there was good, good ringers back in them days, and they were travelling around, weren't they? Yeah. yeah, but I was fortunate. I'll when I used to go out to Wandervale, old um, Pat Brisky used to pick me up from my home in Milchester Road. You know, I was probably maybe seven or eight, maybe older. And he just wanted a companion when they'd taken um, or had to go pick the old stockmen up out Wandervale. They used to take me fishing. But oh, I, I never used to fish. I used to just watch them when I used to get to catch turtle, those um, bungaroo long-necked turtle. In our history, oral history was so important to hand down yeah. to, um, to people, especially us young ones who want to listen. uh, and mother might say to him, he, mother might wonder, his brother is not with him. Mugina wonder, he asked him, he said, where's your brother? He might, she might say, Yara Yanina, Kani, 
That means he went down there, a long way away. Gandhi means he's gone, way down there. Yarayanina, Gandhi. Yeah, Yarayanina, Gandhi. That means he went away up there, long way away. If you were talking to some students, is there advice you'd give them in terms of approaching working with people as they work on language? Like, yeah, my advice for young people is when, when you talk to elders, yeah, you don't stand above them. You sit the same level, you know, and, and sit behind them. Don't sit in front of them. Till they ask you to sit in front of them. One thing with young people, you know, I, I know they want to bring out knowledge. You need to explain to them or have a, another person that are from that same area to sit down with the old people, explain what this person's doing. There's also have to be a contract between, especially with the information and stuff that are, um, shouldn't shouldn't be written. See, with um, probably Alex, uh, you know, I, I sort of um, liked his personality from the start. And um, he was, you know, he was that motivated to go, you know, and he showed a lot of respect back to me. He's always, um, always mentioned me in my emails, you know, I better go back. That's showing respect. Mm. And you've got to realise that he's, that's not his language, that's, that's my language. What advice would you give to students today um, when they're approaching field work and, and looking at recording interviews or songs with Indigenous people? Um, firstly, be yourself. People know when you're pretending to be more polite than you really are. <laughs> people from a European background, particularly like me, you know, they have presuppositions which are so unconscious they can't see them. Um, so getting rid of those is, is not easy. But um, listening, um, don't always ask questions. Allow people to go on from the last thing they said to expand into their own area of interest. Don't, don't keep pulling people back to what you're after. This is their language and it's their decision to actually take part in recording. What do you call his head? One bun. One bun. One bun. Mm, head. Mm -hmm. One of them. One of them. Yeah, one of them. One of them. One of them. Yeah. Two eyes. Yali. Yali. Two eyes. Oja. Oja. You know it. Tawa, mouse. Tawa. Mouse. Kingurangu? Hair. Kingurangu. Hair, hair. Yeah, but uh, one thing I want to show respect to is my old people mm -hmm. that are, um, you know, passed on and the elders that are present and my young leaders too. You know, one thing is that, um, Everything I'm doing, I'm doing for the good old people of Charter Stairs. <laughs>
Thank you, William, Peter, Alex, and Miff, for your involvement in and contribution to our Toksave podcast on the Gujarat language and culture. This episode discussed how racist attitudes and government systems contributed to cultural practices and language being buried in the sand. William, your work is inspiring as you dig deep into Gujarat language and culture, bringing it back into the light. We wish you the best for your future publication and we can't wait to hear your songs in Gujarat language. Thank you to our listeners and thank you to the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies for the use of Peter Sutton's 1970s recordings. If you wish to access the Sutton collection, you can find a link to the IATSIS catalogue on our website. If you would like to access the full interviews with William and Peter in the TCT1 collection, or the Good Jail Language podcast in the WS2 collection, or find out more information about Paradisec, the work we do, and the online catalogue, you can visit our website at www.paradisec.org.au. Talk Save Culture Talks was launched as part of the United Nations International Year of Indigenous Languages in 2019. We would like to acknowledge the support of the Australian Research Council's Centre of Excellence for the Dynamics of Language and the University of Sydney, the University of Melbourne and the Australian National University. 